Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, ggministry.com. Hey, hey, hey. Wow. This is the first time I've been able to uh, bring, a, bring a team, and so I'm super excited that all of our team is here. I just love you guys and my beautiful wife, and Ellie's over there with flags. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Ellie. Gone. Yeah, and William's asleep, and how many of you enjoyed worship tonight? Oh, my gosh. So the one here, that's Kaylee. She's our worship pastor in Risen Nation in Dallas, and uh, I'm just so thankful. And Jathan is holding their baby and trying to keep it from crying too much because she had to be nursed. Um, but I have a couple of just quick things, and then we're going to see what the Lord does. Um, you guys, you awake? Are you in for an all-nighter? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so a couple of things. We actually, um, you know, I got prophesied over today about having this school of ministry. Believe it or not, we're starting one. Um, and so we actually, I don't think we'll have, I mean, the booth is there. I see it with my eyes. Is it going to be open? It's not going to be open. Okay. They're saying it's not. Jenny, would you stand up, you and Tanner? So this is Jenny, everybody. If you want to connect with her, she's going to be our director of the school. Come on, honor her. And... Um, but we really felt the Lord back in January. Did anybody go to Habitation in January or this last weekend? Raise your hand. Oh, hey. Glad you guys. Hi. Hi. Yes. Hi. Um, so thankful. But we, um, in January, we had a Habitation event, and we really felt like the Lord spoke to us to have a, a school called Habitation, where we see a generation begin to build around His presence. Uh, students of his presence, students of his coming, his continual coming. And so we are launching a school. It starts in January. It'll be a three-year program, um, nine months at a time. And third year, well, no power. Awesome. Uh, third year, if you pass, we actually believe that the Lord's starting a, a church planning movement where we want to actually ordain people that pass and send them out to go and plant houses of habitation. So um, you can go and check it out on our website, habitationministries.org. And last thing, we're coming back here next month. August, yes, August 26th. We're going to come to this area. There is a venue that we're waiting on confirmation for that we should have Monday. Um, but we believe that the Lord's telling us to take these habitation nights where we're going to bring our whole worship team we're going to bring our team, and we are just going to press in and plant seeds inside of cities. And we want to invite you to come. So it's August 26th. It'll be a Friday night at 7 o'clock um, in this area. And if you are interested in going, because I'm not sure we're going to have enough room at this venue, go to habitationministries.org. Go to the contact form and fill it out, okay? And in the memo, tell us you want to come. Can you do that? Give me a thumbs up. All right, cool. So we want to invite you guys to be a part of that. All right, would you close your eyes? Just lift your hands for a second. Oh, anybody cold? 
Anyone want a free sweatshirt? Medium? Anyone a medium? Medium? You want a sweatshirt? Yeah, you do. All right, here you go. You look cold. All right. Anyone else? This is a, a large. Anybody need a large? There you go. There you go. Wow, terrible throw. All right. Amen. SOH stands for School of Habitation, if you're wondering. Okay, lift your hands. Close your eyes. Jesus, we welcome you. Who is this man whose love overflows like a river? Who is this lamb whose mercy endures forever? Who is this man whose love overflows like a river? Who is this lamb whose mercy endures? One more time, who is this man? Who is this man whose love overflows like a river? Who is this lamb? His name is Yahweh. In his name is Yahweh. El Shaddai. Name above all names. The way, the truth, the life. His name is Jehovah. Adonai. King above all kings. The one true God, the Christ. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Your presence is enough. Lord, we ask that you mark people tonight. We ask that there be repentance tonight. We ask, God, for significant encounters, Lord, that change everything. Lord, may we come into the experience of Christ. Lord, may we talk about this night, not because I preached, not because worship was good, but may we say, remember when God was there. We're longing for a deeper touch. We're longing for deeper intimacy. We are longing for an authentic encounter with a real God. We don't want you in theory. We want the touch of heaven tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, can I, can I minister to you for a minute? I, uh, I believe that we're coming to a day. We had the, the Lord break out in an amazing way uh, at the church on June 12th. And we have been watching um, an amazing move of God that's been taking place. And I hear this common theme amongst pastors and leaders and uh, people that just watch. Um, man, I really want to come and see what the Lord is doing. I, I want to I come and experience what God is doing. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I want the language to change from I want to I come see what God's doing to I want to come and see God. And the Lord spoke back and he said, if we're going to have the language change, our hearts need to change. If the language is going to change, our hearts need to change. You remember in Joel chapter 2, it talks about 
rending not our garments, but rending our hearts. In other words, not rending, ripping this, this surface level thing, not just making it something exuberant, but actually asking God to do something deep within us, to do something that changes us. And for so long, we've had messages and they're good and we've got good preachers that know how to rhyme and they know how to get you on your feet and they know how to get you to clap. But what I'm interested in is something that actually silences you and causes you to drive home trembling, going, Lord, I need to get on my knees tonight and I need to know you in the power of your resurrection. I'm not telling you to be quiet or uh, like Solomon said yesterday, uh, what did you say again? Presbyterian church? <laughs> Bit offensive. No, just kidding. I, but I want God to do something real because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of conferences. Anyone tired of conferences? We do them, but I'm tired of them. Anyone with me? Tired of just doing events and talking about God moving, but not actually seeing the glory of the Lord. And I'm telling you, there's a people that are divinely discontent. Divinely discontent. Like there's this shaking inside of you that knows there's got to be more. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We had a transition happen within our church and on Easter, we launched in the new building, and it was packed, and it was good, and you know, on Easter, people that haven't been to church in four years show up, and then they come back four years later, and you have a line outside, and you think you're doing something right because people are there. I would challenge every leader and pastor in the room that the barometer of your success is, did he come? But we had a church, and it was full, and it's amazing, and weeks went on, and, and every week, the, the place is full, and it's good, and the Lord is with us, and it's powerful, but something was discontent in my heart. And I went home to my dad. And, you know, my dad is a father. He's a spiritual father in my life. And I said, I feel like I'm ungrateful. I need you to help me. I, you know, I'm pastoring. Everything is good. The church is growing. The people are there. God is blessing us financially. We have what we need, but there's something in me that is not satisfied. And I remember my dad said, you know, you need to go on a trip somewhere and get alone with the Lord. So I went to my wife and I said, may I have permission to go alone somewhere and get with the Lord? And I flew to Florida and I locked away in a hotel room. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you've given me Bethany, but I'm still weeping over Jerusalem. And this cry entered my heart of there has got to be more. There's got to be more. And if, and if we are just going to continue to go into a circle from generation to generation, Catherine Kuhlman would say, if preaching was the answer, the world would have been saved a long time ago. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. There's got to be something that stops a generation in its tracks, turns them around and says, he is all I want. Because Generation Z, Generation Alpha, which is my kids, they would say that Generation Z statistically is the number one generation in history that's leaving the church, not my kids. I don't know about your kids, but not my kids, because our kids don't need church, they need Him. So there was this divine discontentment in me, and so the Lord began to speak to me, that, I, and I'm going to get into a little bit tonight, about it's time for a groan to enter back into a generation that's crying out, come Lord Jesus, come. 
who isn't satisfied sitting in church for 45 minutes, 15 minutes of worship, make sure the message is quick, get them in, get them out, get them home because lunch and football is more important. They're going to scream at the TV when they get home, but they're not going to make one noise in church because God is, because God is boring. I'm telling you, the Lord's coming and he's slapping the church. I, I, I feel very intense and it's going to be intense. And if you're offended, listen, I just don't care because any genuine move of the Holy Spirit is going to cause amazement and also rejection. Every revival you ever read about has two common threads, restorationism, which is a desire to get back to an original blueprint, and rejection. So I just, I just believe that the Lord's coming to some of these young people, and he's saying, will you do it differently even if it offends every way of religion? Pastor Charles gave me a free pass today to offend religion, so we're going to kick religion out of the tent tonight. It's going to be great. But... The Lord began to speak to me about a groan out of Ezekiel chapter 8, and I'm going to read it in a minute. The Lord took me on an interesting direction tonight, so we'll see how this goes. But the groan, there's a groan entering back into a generation. If I figure, if creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God, then the sons of God also ought to be groaning for the coming of the great Lord. And, and so I went home, and we had a service, and I'm boiling inside. And I had just started reading about and, and watching documentaries. How many of you remember Brownsville? Ra raise your hand. Or how many of you ever went to Brownsville? No one ever? Okay. Tony and Teresa did? I knew, I knew it. There's something about them. You went to Brownsville? Okay. So I started reading and watching these videos. How many, how many of you ever heard of a guy named John, John Kilpatrick? And so... So I started watching these videos of this guy. In 1993, he began to pray. I was one years old. He began to pray in 1993. And he began to cry out and say, Lord, there's got to be more. And when I saw it, it struck me. Because I'm like, Lord, this is what is crying out in my heart. And they began to cry out for revival, which I think revival in many ways has a bad rep. And, and I know that you're revival, but revival's bigger than you. I just want you to know that. Revival is the influence of God coming on cities, and it actually is going to impact government. Revival is renewed attention of an entire, entire regions at a time that come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I get it. We're revival, and we get to be revival everywhere we go, but you getting somebody saved in Walmart is not revival. That's called the Christian life. And I think we have lowered the standard so much of the Christian life that anytime we see anything, we're like, we are in revival. No, it, revival is God is so manifest that his presence is so manifest that people walk in and the first thing they'll say is God is here. It, and and, and you don't, you're not so focused on the miracles, you're too enamored by him. Right? You're not so focused on what God's doing, you're actually enamored by God, believe it or not. Right? So, so I come back and I'm like, it's time to pray. And I, so I told our church, I didn't even really tell anybody except our leaders, I said, on Sunday, I'm going to get up and I'm going to tell them we're going to show up here on Monday at 6 a.m. We're going to begin to cry out because whatever this is, isn't enough. And, and so we got to service again, great turnout and all the power goes out. The air, I don't know if our air still isn't working. We're not sure, but power goes out and, and I'm frustrated. And it, and then all of a sudden I realized, no, 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 this is the Lord. He's turning all the lights off. All the production is going away. 
And so I get up and I thought, you know, I'm going to say, we're going to be here at 6 a.m. and we're going to pray. And I thought, Gabriel, my brother, Costi, and Tanner, we're going to show up. Because you say prayer meetings and everyone thinks it's time to fall asleep and call it soaking. <laughs> but I'm like, no, 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 something is burning inside of me. And if, and if I'm the only one laying on the floor, I am tired of doing church. So I show up at 5.30 in the morning to church, and I am amazed at how many people are waiting outside the doors of our church. And hundreds of people, I mean, I would say 75% of our church that first day shows up. And the Lord, and, the, and I realized, you know, we're always waiting on the people to be hungry. But I think, and, I, and now I'm talking to leaders, I think you need to get hungry. I think that the people are more ready than we think they are. And I was blown away. All we did was wake up early one time. We had to go to bed early. We got up early one time, and God showed up. And I can't even begin to tell you what we've been experiencing just in this, that, Lord, we have this intention in our heart that we want to groan with creation, that we want to cry to enter into our hearts because we are tired of playing church. We are tired of talking about you and never experiencing you. We are tired of going through the motions. We're tired of checking the list of, listen, I can come up here tonight and I can talk to you about hell for three hours and I will scare the literal hell out of everybody in this room. I'm not cussing. I'm saying literally hell out of you. And, and I'll stand up here, you know, like uh, I remember Todd used to have these protesters and they would have these signs and they'd say, Todd White, hell awaits you outside of his building. And uh, we had tried to put, we were going to put sprinklers in and stuff, but we didn't. And, and, uh, and it always bothered me. Like, I'm like, these guys got nothing better to do than hold a sign, Todd White, hell awaits you. And so I was preparing for a service one, one Saturday night, and the vision kept coming into my mind of these protesters. And I'm thinking, Lord, why is this coming into my mind? And the Lord spoke to me, said, isn't it amazing that you can go up? You're so bothered with them, but then you stand up and you hold up a banner that says, hell awaits you, run to an altar. Rather than the banner saying, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And I have news for you. Revival is not a revelation of your filthiness. Revival is a revelation of how precious you are. Revival is people running to an altar because they found a God that the goodness of God drew them to repentance, not, oh my gosh, I want to get out of hell, because Jesus is not your get out of hell card, and he's not a fire escape out of hell. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the inheritance, not his home, not his home, just him, believe it or not. And when that revelation hits your heart, you're not waiting to die someday, because that's not in the Bible either. Nowhere in the Bible you have to die to go to heaven. If you find it, come and tell me. But here's what it says. The kingdom of God doesn't come by observation, but it's where? Does anybody read the Bible in here? This is the Bible. It's a top-selling uh, book. <laughs> Hopefully you don't just shake and cry all the time without actually knowing the word. Luke 17 says, the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation but it is within you. Is Jesus in anybody in this, in this tent? Lift, lift your hand. Okay, if, if, if Jesus resides in glory, if Jesus resides and his abode is called heaven, but yet he lives in you, then what are you waiting for? 
if death was the answer, then let's just have a service where we all just die and just make it quick and easy. But what if God wants to bring a new heaven and a new earth? You see, religion's direction is heaven. The kingdom's direction is earth. Thy will be done on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's coming and he's going to hit the planet. The meek shall inherit the earth. We're trying to get out of the earth. God's trying to get in the earth. We're, we, and the prayers intensify as the, we don't like the guy in office, so we start praying, thinking that politics is some sort of answer. There's a king that's higher than any White House. His name is Jesus. And I, it, you know, yeah, vote, vote for righteousness. But, you know, I don't, I don't live in Egypt. You might be in Babylon, but you're not of Babylon. And the Lord is getting our focus and our attention back. He's putting this groan inside of a generation that's not, that's not waiting to be rescued, but a generation that's ready to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Are, are you with me? You feel the tension now. I like the tension. Good thing is I get to go home tomorrow to my church, and they like me there. So, Thanks, Gail. I know you do, Gail. Gail's got my back. You just believe things that your pastor told you in 1988. But I think it's time that we stop and ask ourselves, why is it that I believe what I believe? Is this what I find in the Word, and is this my encounter, or am I just echoing something from generation to generation to generation? And I said it today, but the definition of, his, of insanity is just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result. And I think it's time that church get flipped upside down. I think it's time we throw our schedule out. I think it's time that we throw, like, who said that I could only do church on Sunday? Who said that? Who told me that? Why do we do that? And then Wednesday night, and then that's youth, because it's Wednesday. Make sure there's a DJ, because that's what brings them. What about the presence of Jesus? But somewhere along the way, we've adopted traditions. And we do them. And if you really ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? I promise at the end of the road, you'll find that God never told you to do it. But when you actually seek the Lord, what you'll hear is things that the Bible says, like you are God's building. And we've adopted synagogue ways of thinking. And the synagogue order started all the way back in Ezra. And, and synagogues came into being because of the loss of glory and the destruction of the temple. Every time Jesus shows up in the New Testament in synagogues, he never identified them with himself. He would always say, their synagogue. I went to preach in their synagogue. But there is a synagogue model and then there's a temple model. And the temple was all built around the presence of God. The goal of the temple was that his glory would come in 2 Chronicles 5. And it was so glorious that the, the minute the priest couldn't even stand in the cloud of glory. If you, if you read about things like Azusa Street, the glory cloud would come in that little house 
and kids would play hide-and-go-seek inside of it. Today in church, we're like, don't talk in tongues. We don't want to scare people. I think it's time that people get scared again. But the temple was, you surround him, you minister to him, and he comes. And what makes you distinct according to Exodus 33 is his presence. Moses said, Lord, I don't want to go if you don't come with us. We're not going anywhere if you don't go. In Numbers 9, the cloud would stay over the tabernacle, and when it lifted, they moved. And when it, when it lingered, they stayed. And everything was built around, is he here or is he not? And in Exodus 33, Moses says to the Lord, Lord, you know that what makes us distinct is you, is your presence. It's the model of the temple. David shows up. He is a wild man. He throws a tent up in the middle of the wilderness, and he puts the glory inside of it. Not a priest, not of a line of a priesthood, but yet in 2 Samuel 6, he's dancing, and in 7, he's dancing with a linen ephod on. He's not a priest. He was of the line of Judah. That was only for the Levites. But David had this desire in him. If I want to see the glory of the Lord come into my city, even though I'm technically not allowed to do that, even though technically it's against tradition, his desire moved and provoked God. David hired 10,000 people on his own dime, and their whole job was to surround the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God, and just minister to him day and night. 10,000 people, all to minister to the Lord. Generations go on, generations go on. Kings rise up, and they forget about the ways of David. They forget about the ways of worship, and if you read the Old Testament, it's frustrating. They start pure, they end bad. They start pure, they end bad. Or they're like halfway pure, but they never actually take down the high places. And it's frustrating to read until the point that they go into exile in Babylon. Temples destroyed, Ark of the Covenant is taken, and we never hear about it again. And then you see this thing pop up called synagogues. And synagogues weren't about the presence synagogues if you study them it was a good thing it was about community they would read the torah just like ezra they they find the torah in the book of nehemiah and they begin to read it on the sabbath around noon like our sunday mornings at 12 o'clock and they would stand up and they would read the torah and the people would weep and they would repent and then they would have community but there was one thing not heard in synagogues and it's called sacrificial worship and the Lord is not coming to build synagogues on every corner with just the name of a church on it, but the exact model. And it's good. It's, it's a place of community. That's good. It's a place of, of the word. And that's good. The law, good. David loved the law. But the Lord's leading us back to slow and sacrificial again. The Lord said, Acts 15, listen, Acts 15, 16, I am going to rebuild the tabernacle of David so that a generation may seek the Lord. We don't need any more synagogues. We need places that are about his presence. Are you with me? We need places that are about his presence. We need homes that are about his presence. And what's going to happen 
is synagogues are just going to begin to fall. What's going to happen is anything that's built, Solomon's message last night, I just wanted to like, Corey Russell would say, punt a baby. Very offensive. Because they're cute. You know, you don't know what to do. My kids are so cute. I want to squeeze them and they have bite marks on them, not because I'm abusive, but because I don't know what to do with my hands. They're adorable. But you know, you, you get fired up listening to things like this. You get fired up of listening to truth that's not being taught in the church today. And we have more life coaches than we do shepherds. Skinny jeans, fog machines, ain't cutting it. I want the real cloud of glory, not the one that helps our lighting. I'm so sick of it. I, I feel this disturbance in my spirit. And I'm telling you, there is a disturbance in the force. And it's called the generation that's had enough. Am I angry? Yes. People are like, man, you preach mad. Well, you know, I just feel like we've got so many, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, but we don't have enough people that are like, no way, not my kids. Remember in, in Genesis 35, Jacob is, has his son, Benjamin. So powerful, Charles prophesied over me today, and he said, Benjamin will be your portion. I have a son, my youngest son, one years old, one and a half, his name is Benjamin. And I'm also the youngest. And Rachel is dying. Jacob has a son named Benjamin. But Rachel says his name will be Benoni, which means son of sorrow. Anyone ever read that? And Jacob, who loved Rachel, says don't listen to her. This is how it ended between the two of them. Okay, bye-bye. No, his name will not be Benoni. His name will not be son of sorrow. His name is Benjamin. And Benjamin means son of favor, son of my right hand. So a father stepped in and said, no, no, no. This will not be the trajectory of my son's life. The trajectory of my son's life will be favor and strength, not sorrow. And I think we need some fathers and mothers that stand up for the sake of Generation Alpha, get over our plans and all of our programs and all the stuff we've got to get done and all of our donors and all of our partners because our ministries are built and thus they're all about Jesus. It's a bunch of hay and stubble that I believe in this hour the Lord is bringing to the threshing floor and he's throwing it up in the air. That's what it means. He comes with his willowing fan. Winnowing fan. He's throwing it up in the air and the hay and the stubble and all the stuff, the wind comes and it blows it away. But the wheat that has weight comes back to him. And I believe that we are in an hour, a sobering hour within the church where the Lord is throwing us up in the air. And he's seeing what's going to go with the wind and the new trends and who's going to be more fixed on the news and more fixed on what's happening in the government and who's going to come back to him. And for the sake of our children, for the sake of our children in our own state of Texas, there is now things where little kids are being brought to places where they're teaching them about being transvestites. Not in my house. And, and we don't got any pastors talking about it because we don't want to get political. This is not political. This is righteousness and evil. And there is a line being drawn in the sand that's saying no more. And some of you, listen, some of you are mad at me right now. Who does this guy think he is? I don't care what you think. My kids 
I'm, I'm determined. I'm absolutely determined. My father used to make this statement to me. He'd say, you never forget that you are born in Zion. He'd always say that to me. From the time we were little, never forget that you are born in Zion. I didn't understand that until I was older, but I would say it. I'm born in Zion. He didn't tell me I was born in sin. No, 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 no. He told me who I was, not who I was not. Right? Does the Bible say in Romans 6 that we can be set free from sin? Does it say it or not? Raise your hand if you've ever read the Bible. Okay. And then you get to Romans 7 and you get super confused. And you stop there because you like the excuse of Romans 7 that allows you to sin. But it's a whole letter. You can't just stop at one chapter, believe it or not. Romans 7 says to those who are under the law, this is what life will be like. What you will to do, you can't do. And you'll be confused out of your mind because your flesh doesn't understand. Then you get to Romans 8 and he says, but now. Oh, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, the promise. Romans 7, your flesh is going to fight it. And as long as you stay under the law, this is how you're going to struggle. But then Romans 8 gives you the truth again. And he ties this perfect knot. The passion says, now the case is closed and there remains no accusing voice of condemnation. Case is closed. You can open the case all you want, but as far as heaven is concerned, the case is closed. So what, what, just hear me out. What would it be like if we as parents believed that? That we actually believe that I am finished in Christ Jesus. That we actually believe that as far as my life is concerned, that I have the power, according to the scriptures in Romans 6, I have the power to conquer sin in my life. And if you just want to call yourself a sinner because you like your sin, that's fine. But the more you call yourself a son, the more you have to live by it. See, when I start thinking like that, what happens if a generation conquers it? Our kids, what if, what, just hear me out. What if they're not born into sin because a generation conquered it and they're born into Zion and they don't know anything else? What, what, see, we don't believe yet. That's where, see, I can feel the religion. You can feel the religion because for so long, so many people have just told you who you're not. Rather than telling you who you are, and you look in the mirror beholding the glory of the Lord, not what you've done, but what he's done. How many of you know his blood is enough? It didn't like work halfway until you die. He conquered death and the grave. He conquered it. He, he was so powerful that when he died... Graves just opened up. You ever read that in Matthew? He dies, graves opened up, but they stayed in the graves. So powerful that just the region around him, resurrection happens before he even resurrects. And the graves open up and they just lay there because they got to wait because he's the firstborn. Three days later, he comes storming out of the grave after taking captivity captive. And they get up and they go to their family and cousin John shows up at the door because they were in the same vicinity as Jesus. They're just in the same vicinity as him. And you think to yourself, like, imagine you're having dinner and Uncle Eddie died 40 years ago. And a light shines all of a sudden. And the ground begins to shake, and this man 
shows up and it says that he was without sin. And how many of you know it says that the sting of death is sin? So when, when you have sin and you die, death has something to hold on to. But when you don't have sin, death is confused. It says in the book of Acts that it, death couldn't comprehend him. In other words, he went down into the pit and they said, uh-oh, what do we do with this one? Nothing to attach to. There was nothing to grab onto. He has all power, all things. He's the beginning and the end, which makes him everything in between. My dad says the most high God went to the lowest low so that he could fill all in all. And he went to, the, he went to hell and preaches to those all the way back to the days of Noah. What was that conference like? <laughs> and he takes captivity captive and leads a host out of hell. And people just in the vicinities, he comes storming out of the grave, walk out of their graves, go knock on the doors of their families. What happened? I don't know. There was this man. Jesus. There was this man. And then we're here today just trying to make it through life. You see, when I talk like this, your, your struggles in your life, it just kind of grows dim in the light of his glory. But the problem is, is we're still in the way. Our business and vision is still in the way. I have news. Jesus never one time came to his disciples and said, here's my five-year ministry plan for Jesus Christ International Ministries. He never said it. Jesus didn't come to establish ministries. He came to establish a kingdom with a king. He didn't say, all right, guys, here's what it's going to look like. Here's how we're going to get partners. And... Peter, you're going to have a pretty rough death. No, no, he just said, follow me. Because he's determined, am I enough? Will I be enough? And there's a group of fathers and mothers. See, I don't think I'm talking to everybody tonight. I think I'm talking to a remnant. Because some of you are going to forget everything I said the minute you leave, and that's fine. But some of you are going to catch something. And you're going to start thinking about your kids. And God's going to give you a vision that supersedes your generation. And if your vision doesn't supersede your generation, it's not big enough. This is why God blessed this man, David, because his vision was too big. He needed Solomon to finish it. I need my children to finish it. And if I don't need them, then it's probably just all about me. But see, the Lord is coming to people saying, what you're doing isn't working. And we're still depressed and our generation, Gen Z, riddled with anxiety and fear and suicide. Pastors committing suicide and we're wondering what is wrong. So we go to psychology. But there's this thing called the word of God. And it is as clear as it comes. And it sounds like this. You have left your first love. It sounds like this in Revelation 3. You think you're rich, but really you're poor. You think you have clothes on, but really you're naked. And he comes in verse 18 and he says, so I'm going to come and counsel you. And this is where I believe we are in the church. Is the Lord is coming to a group of people saying, will you listen now to me? And I'm counseling you by gold from me, refined by fire. I salve so that you might see again. Garments 
in white so that you might clothe yourself again. Only that which comes from me. And I think that leaders, leaders, we need the backbone to tell the truth. Our churches, I, I don't think what's, what used to grow churches is growing churches anymore. Not in our generation. I have watched young people craving for a real encounter with a real God. A real encounter with a real God. And I come to you humbly as a, one of those young people saying we are begging fathers and mothers to stand up and change the trajectory of a generation that's saying you will not be Benoni, but you will be Benjamin. I am, I'm begging you in my heart. Your church, listen, your people, they don't need visitors' packets. They need him. They don't need a mug with your logo on it. They need their lives to become a cup filled with oil. Because families are broken. Kids are leaving. Marriages dissipating. And we're happy if there's money and if there's people. God forgive us is right. We need some people to start heralding the full thing. The full thing. And for too long, I am guilty of this. As pastors, we don't give people the fullness because we want to protect them from the Bible. You know, we stop reading on the rough parts. Like where I'm going to, I am going to cause dung to be smeared on your face. Just read it in Malachi chapter 3. This huge promise of a Levitical covenant. And if you don't, it says, I will take your own dung and smear it on your face. That's not the God. I, well, you probably should find out because it's in the Bible that he happens to be the volume of the book of. <laughs> I just am not interested in entertainment. I've watched it for too long. And you know what? It's got us nowhere. Because everything in the world is progressing, technology, everything, all of the demonic stuff, it's all progressing. And the only thing that isn't progressing is the church. We're getting bigger and we're really wide, like he said, really wide and really shallow. And it's time that we find some people that are going to go, I'm going to go deep in God, even if I offend everybody around me. Because my kids, I, it's, I am determined it'll be normal to them that they raise the dead. And how they're going to see that is they're going to see their father trying. I always have this dream of parent-teacher conferences. Maybe third, fourth grade, you know? Your son who's casting out devils. In the elevator. We don't know what to do with him. What are you going to correct your boy? Keep doing it. Keep going. Keep going. I have a cute story about my son because it's really intense, so I'm going to calm you guys down now. My, uh, my five-year-old, he is like our biggest conviction in life. I can't go to Starbucks in the drive-thru, and if I don't say Jesus loves you to the person, he rebukes Emily and I. So we had a cleaning, we had a cleaning crew come to the house, and, uh, and it was about five ladies, and and so before they get there, Emily's telling William and Ellie and the kids about, you know, uh, something's happening over there. Uh, 
It's all right. He's telling William, he's telling, Emily's telling them, all right, guys, like, you got to, you know, just stay out of their way, all that kind of stuff, right? And, um, and so William is like, Mommy, we need to tell all of them about Jesus. Okay? And so she's like, okay, what's the plan? So William's like, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> They're going to walk in, and I'm going to tell them, do you know Jesus? If they don't know, you're going to take them to the couch. <laughs> and, and you're going to tell them, and now if they don't know him or don't like him, that's what he said, if they don't know him or don't like him, you're going to sit them down on the couch, and you're going to make sure that they all know Jesus. Right? So Emily's like, okay. So his moment comes, you know, and he's standing at the door. And they ring the doorbell, Emily opens the door, and they're all there, and he goes, he freezes. He goes, does Jesus like you? Just, yeah. But you know, it's the heart. It's the heart that matters. It's the heart. <laughs> and then he just... I wish he was, he's asleep, but you know, but you know, like no offense, but he's more important to me than what you think. He's more important to me than what my church thinks, than what anybody in my life thinks. And I've been in ministry for too long and I've been a part of churches for too long. There's a problem that, that we have created this PK thing. Like they're the runaways. I think it's because the pastors are pursuing the wrong thing. We're so busy with our ministries and impressed with ourselves. And there's a King Hezekiah moment that we're in where the Lord's coming and saying, clean the debris out of the holy place. Get all the junk and all the garbage out and all the man-made stuff. Jesus showed up in, listen, John 2, he gets baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. Just a couple days later, he shows up to the temple and he sees doves inside of cages, kind of like in church today, doves inside of cages, and he premeditates a whip. This is what I love about Jesus, premeditates a whip. And he shows up into the temple. He starts ripping the cages open, flipping tables and whipping. We're not sure, but he's whipping someone. <laughs> and the disciples remembered zeal has eaten him up. And we need some zeal that eats us up again as a generation. We need some zeal for the house of God. We need some zeal for his presence. We need some zeal that causes this groan to enter into our heart that's crying, come Lord Jesus, come at any cost. We are laying down our lives and if the whole world hates us, there's a remnant that God is going to find. He's going to snatch them out of the world for the sake of the world. This is Acts 15. Is the rebuilding of David's tabernacle isn't I'm just going to pick the good ones and leave all the other ones over here. It's I'm going to take a generation out so that the other ones can look at them and have an understanding of what it means to seek the Lord. We talked about it today, but I, I just want to see this. People get around you and they wonder what you're staring at. Until they see him. <sighs> okay, I should read the Bible. Go to Isaiah 63 with me, and I won't be much longer. What time is it? 9.40. 9.40. It's early. 
We have to go to the airport at two in the morning, so I'm gonna make them stay up all night. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gabriel. All right. I'm gonna read a good portion really quick, so just follow along. This is Isaiah 63. I'm starting in verse 15. Isaiah is praying for mercy. He's crying out to the Lord. And he says, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation, where is your zeal and your might? So Isaiah, he's talking to the Lord. Lord, where, where, what happened to your zeal? And the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, our, you are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways? He's blaming God. He's blaming the Lord, okay? Why are you not zealous? Where's your compassion? And why are you making us wanderers? And why have you hardened your heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our, adverse, our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We, become, we have become like those whom you've never ruled, like those whom you've never called by your name. So Isaiah is blaming the Lord for the lack of whatever they're not experiencing. Why, Lord, are you not stirring yourself up? Why are you not moving? Why are you not doing this? It's as if you've never ruled us. So then you get to Isaiah 64, verse 1. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known that the nations might tremble at your presence. And then something changes in verse 3. He says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, I think Isaiah got corrected between verse 2 and verse 3. Because he's saying here, Lord, where are you? Where's your zeal? And then we get up in church today, and, I, and I've done this, and, you know, crying out, Lord, rend the heavens and rend the earth. It's a good prayer. It gets people jumping and going and yeah, come down. And the Lord's like, I have. Rend the heavens, Lord. Look at Joe. Look at this government, Lord. Look at what they're doing. Come on, God, come. Come down now. Judge the earth. Verse 3. When you did awesome things. When you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. If you just follow, just a couple of verses before, he's saying, come down and quake, let the mountains quake at your presence. But then in verse three, it's saying, when you did come and we weren't paying attention, the mountains were quaking at your presence, but we weren't paying attention. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. I want you to, to underline that. No one has perceived by the ear. No eye has seen God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Jump over to verse 7. 
It says, There is no one who calls upon your name, who stirs himself to take hold of you, Jesus. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our own iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. So he's saying the same thing. He was just saying a chapter before, but he's saying it with different heart now. He's saying, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. And we all are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. We are all your people. If you read Isaiah 50, he says to the people, he says, Why when I came was there no man? Why when I called was there no answer? Matthew 22, there's a parable of a wedding feast. A king is putting on a wedding for his son. And the king, the father, listen, sends out invitations. And he said that the wedding feast was ready. Everyone say ready. ready. The wedding feast was ready, but there was no guests there. So they send out invitations. And it said in Matthew 22 that some were so busy that they just ignored the invitations. Others came, but they didn't have the right garments on when they came. And because no one responded, they just start sending them out to the highways and the byways, inviting anybody to this wedding feast. And you get to the end and he says, many are called, but few are chosen. We've made that about ministry. It's not about ministry. It's he sends out his call for everybody, but few choose to accept his call. Few choose to say, I'm coming. Few choose to take the invitation, put the right garment on and come to the wedding. Because we're busy, we're busy doing things for him, forgetting about him. We're too busy with life. It's like the parable of the sower. You know, you sow the seeds, some fall by the wayside, some on the stony ground, some on the thorns. And the thorns is where I think we relate to the most. The cares of our own lives. It comes and it chokes away the seed. But listen, heaven is ready. Heaven's been ready for 2,000 years. We've seen Passover. There's three main feasts in the, in the Old Testament. Passover, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. You hear everybody talk about Passover, which was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He comes. He is the great intercessor. He comes and he stands in the gap between God and man. He heals us. He delivers us from our sin. He saves us. He goes and he ascends to the Father. Then you see Pentecost happen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But how many times have you heard the message of the Feast of Tabernacles preached? Not, not one hand goes up. Except for my brother. Because we grew up with this stuff. And you know what? My dad had 30 people in his church. Because he offended everybody. Not influential, but faithful. Don't let me forget where I am with the Feast of Tabernacles. Because I have to say this. I remember days we moved from Florida to California... California to Texas and 30 families just followed my dad and the Lord would say go and plant go and plant go and plant and the last move we made was from California to Texas and we had been laboring for tw 10 years before resignation before resignation started though about 10 years resurrection life is what resignation was birthed out of and for 10 years my dad did not see the church grow at all 
And I don't, at the end of the age, we're not going to hear good and influential servant. We're going to hear good and faithful servant. And I think what impresses heaven is not, Billy Graham is amazing and he's seen millions, but I think heaven looks at the one that got Billy saved. That's what I think. I think that the value system of heaven is not the value system of ministry today. I think we, we measure everything by people. He measures everything by heart. So I think the Lord is impressed when God says, I want you to start a prayer room. And I want you to lay on your floor, and you're going to lay on your floor for the next 30 years. And you're going to have five women that are above the age of 65, and they're going to know how to pray. Man, we need grandmas badly. And just so you know, intercession is not just for the 65-year-olds and above. It's the call of every believer. Stand in the gap. But I think that what my dad didn't realize is that when he's crying out, I mean, it was like he preached before Congress every time he was with the 30 people. In the moment, I, I, I can't say what he didn't realize because I think that he did realize it is that the kids that were required to stay upstairs because we were too loud and playing with our toys is looking through the rail. I'll never forget it. Looking through the rail, watching my father cry out for a generation with 15 people in a living room. And today he stands up. We call him Sido, which means grandfather in Arabic. And he stands up in front of a mass group of young people receiving the reward of what he paid for receiving a reward of seed that he sowed, and we are receiving, listen, we're receiving from a field that we didn't plant. And I think that this is how the kingdom works. In Malachi 4, he says, I'm going to take the hearts of the fathers, and I'm going to turn them towards the children, and the hearts of the children, and I'm going to turn them towards their fathers. And then this creates the environment for the coming of the Lord. The environment that is conducive for the coming of the Lord is fathers, turning their hearts towards sons and sons turning their hearts toward fathers. And I think that the Lord is going to bring generations together who are not interested in influence, but they're interested in faithfulness. And I remember we did a power and love in Austin, Perth, Australia. I'll never forget this. And it was like 1500 people. There was, what was the viewership online? Cause TV, it was like in the millions of people, 25 million. So Wednesday night, I'm about to get up and preach, and Gary or somebody comes up to me, and they're like, hey, it's on TBN Pacific. You're looking at maybe 25 million viewership, and I'm like half asleep, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> My dad sent me a voicemail that morning. I woke up. I'm preparing. I'm finding out what we're about to reach, and I have a voicemail from my father who's still in Texas with the 30 people. And he's weeping on the phone. And he's saying, I'm so proud of you. He's not competing. He's saying, this is what I've lived for. This is the point. And I remember a meeting as I'm listening to his voice memo or voicemail. I, I remember this meeting that he did in Jacksonville, Florida, that he got invited to. And he brought all of our family with him. And and I was so excited for my dad. Anytime he went to preach, I thought he was like a superhero. You know, I'm like amped up. I'm sitting on the front row with my suit on and alligator shoes. That's how I grew up. And, and I was so proud of him, you know. And so we went to the Omni Hotel. I'll never forget this. And, and the pastor's like, we're expecting 500 people. I was so excited for my dad. And we show up to this hotel and not one person is in the room. Not one person. 
I mean, it was literally 500 seats, and in the front row was my family and his wife, and I think my Uncle Lindy showed up because he lived in, at Jacksonville. And I am, like, disappointed. I'm discouraged, but I didn't see my dad's face change one time. And this pastor is repenting to him and apologizing to him. And I watched this man walk around, look at empty chairs, and preach like there was somebody in it. And I was so marked that night. I was probably 12 years old. So marked by this man that lived before an audience of one. And now I'm sitting in front of millions of people thinking, I don't deserve this. And he's going, no, 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 this is the point. Imagine if we didn't make it about ourselves and the anointing increases from generation to generation. We should be increasing as the church but we're not because we are too involved. And we're too enamored by Instagram followers. And I have news for you. Jesus was effective, I'm sure pretty effective, for like 2,000 plus years without TikTok and Instagram. And I think we just want an excuse to be seen. Jesus would have crowds coming, he'd run to the mountain. Today we're, get a picture of it. We need it for our website. And I think the Lord sits in the heavens and he says, I am going to spit you out. And we got nobody talking like this. Go to a, I don't have time to keep reading it. The point of Isaiah <laughs> is that we are begging for him to come and he's Yelling back, I have. You just didn't have the ears to hear. You didn't have the eyes to perceive. Because while I was coming, listen, he's rubbing elbows with people in Jerusalem. Matthew 23, he's standing on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you. But you refused. I mean, he's rubbing elbows. They're crying out for their Messiah, and Messiah is walking among them, rubbing elbows with them, and they don't recognize him. All right, I'm, I'm almost done. Go to Ezekiel 8, and then, and then I'm going to be done. Oh, yeah, feast. Thank you, bro. Now I don't know if I want to go there. What? Sharp group. You guys are a sharp group. It's Solomon who's sown seed into you guys. All right, Feast of Tabernacles. I'll do it really quick. <laughs> but go to Ezekiel 8 so we don't have to waste time, you know? <laughs> Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Three main feasts. How many of you have ever read when it says that the Holy Spirit came that it was the down payment? Yeah. What's the full payment going to be like? I mean... The Holy Spirit is my everything. Everything. The Lord said that experience is the down payment, the deposit on the house. Well, what's the whole house? But there's a third feast that they honored in Israel that's still coming that we find in Revelation 21. It says that there's coming a day we will hear the angels cry, the tabernacle of God is among men. That God is literally going to cause, Ephesians says, everything in heaven and everything on earth to come together in one. 
And I am going to tabernacle in not just individual habitations and temples of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know it says, you are the light of the world, but then it goes, to, goes on to say, but a, a city set on a hill. Well, a city requires multiple lights. And this is what we're heading toward is, is that we're going to put our churches down and our ministries down, and we're going to come together with this cry of God inhabit in a people, right? But the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, they would build booths all over Israel. And they would live inside of these booths for seven days, and it represented God and man living together on the earth. Till today, if you go to Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles is still celebrated. We were talking to Eric earlier about it. He was saying, if you go and you stay at a hotel, you'll see literal booths that people build outside on balconies of the hotel. Everywhere you look, there's booths all over Israel representing this feast that is still coming according to Scripture. And it's a feast that has a, a wedding involved where literally the church is going to marry the Lamb. You see it all over the book of Revelation, and then you get to Revelation 22, and it starts to describe the Lamb's wife, which how many of you are the bride of Christ? And it describes the Lamb's wife in Revelation 22, we don't have time to get into it, as a city that God is building in the earth. So while we're trying to get out, we're building timelines. I'll never forget, anyone remember the Y2K? I was, my gosh, 1999, every book of why the rapture is going to happen in 2000 or 1999. And I remember I was so afraid. I'm like, what are the computers going to change? And, and I went to my dad and I said, what's going to happen? He said, I'm preparing my message for the next day. <laughs> and we're trying to build timelines of what he's going to come and get us out of this hellhole. But while the church is building timelines, God's building his kingdom. And there's a bride that's making herself ready, that's preparing a table for him. And we're going to say, listen, the wedding is ready. It's been ready. It's time that we get our oil ready and we start receiving him into the earth. There is a feast coming called Tabernacles. You never hear it taught, and, and, but you see it all over Scripture. Even the tabernacle, you had the inner court, you had the holy place, and then you had the most holy place. The inner court was where they would sacrifice. It's where they would wash. It was the blood of the lamb. It's, it's the crucifixion. It's the resurrection. It is Passover. Then you get to the holy place, and we experience the anointing in the holy place. It's the candlestick. It's the table of showbread. The glory is there, the altar of incense, Pentecost. But then there's a veil between Pentecost and tabernacles. And we've taught for too long. I didn't really want to get into this, but just for you, bro, you got a great goatee. But the, listen, the veil is not between the world and the inner court. Just because you prayed a prayer at an altar doesn't mean you went beyond the veil. The veil is not between the world and the entrance of the tabernacle. The veil is between the holy place and the most holy place. See, in the holy place, you had to work it. You had to keep filling the candle, make sure the bread didn't have mold on it, and keep the incense on the altar. But beyond the veil, man didn't work anymore. God took over. And I think as a church, we're satisfied in the holy place because it's anointed. And I think that the Lord's taking us from this, the anointing to the glory. You see, the anointing is the movement of God through man. That's what the anointing is. You can, you can lay hands on somebody like Solomon talked about, and you can transfer the anointing, and, and you can impart the anointing. And, and, you know, my uncle, you can swing a jacket at somebody. You can do all this stuff. 
And the anointing is the movement of God upon individuals' lives. The glory is going to require a whole priesthood that it rests on. Remember when Uzzah touched the ark alone and it killed him? But then just two chapters later, they put it on a whole group of priests and nobody dies. The glory is a whole generation that's walking in that's saying, we don't just want the anointing on us, Lord. We want the glory to fall on top of an entire generation. How many of you know it says about Jacob? He has a dream. He sees a ladder from heaven to earth, angels ascending and descending. And he says, this is none other the gate of heaven, the house of God, the gate of heaven. How many of you are his house? Come on, raise your hand. Well, we want to do this quick. How many of you are his house? Which means that you are a gate. The house of God, the gate of heaven. That's what the anointing is. It's, it's when Kaylee gets up in worship, she's, she is the gate that's opening you up to him. She's leading you into him. She's opening the door so you can experience him. That's called the anointing. In church, we want you to be mesmerized by the gate. But there's a house beyond the gate. We, are, we want the autograph of the anointed man. YouTube video to YouTube video. We are enamored by anointing on people. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I love the anointing. But it's not about the gate. I, I never walk up to a house with a gate in front of it and say, wow, look at that gate. <laughs> I want to get the gate open and I want to go into the house and I want to experience all the house has to offer me. This is the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. See, God owns the house. You're just like the little gate pushes the button. The button opens. He's there. Feast of Tabernacles. It's the glory of God coming according to Hebrews 8. It says, I, I will need to tell you to know the Lord for all will know him. That's God coming in his active leadership literally leading a people. It says in Ephesians 4, first, some, listen, some, everyone say some, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, until, everyone say until, we all come into the fullness of Christ unto one perfect man. If you're an apostle, he's not impressed. If you're a pastor, a prophet, you might have a business card that says evangelist whatever on it. But he's not impressed. Why? Because it's only until we all. It's only until we all get over ourselves. Because we don't need any more Moseses walking up a mountain. I hope you know that. We need a whole people. God wanted all of them. But they said, Moses, you go. And we're still doing it today. Pastors are suicidal because of it. But there's a generation that's saying, we're going up the mountain together. We're going to experience the glory. And we're not just going to stop at the anointing. The anointing is a gateway into his glory. Amen? Okay, Ezekiel 8. Good? Just for you. Good? Okay. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Ezekiel 8. Can I have the worship team come back up? What time is it? 10 o'clock? <sighs> All right. Can we do this quick? Ezekiel 8. You guys okay? I'm not here very often, so I got to get it all out. And then, I'm gonna, and then we're going to pray, and the Lord is going to come. It's going to be good. Okay. Ezekiel 8, verse 16. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about 25 men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord. 
and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east, S-U-N. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, listen, they put the branch to their nose, therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Then you get to, you get to chapter 9, verse 3. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the cherub, I'm going somewhere, just stay with me, on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had writing, a writing case at his wrist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, listen carefully, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike down, I'm not going to read it all because we have children, but strike down basically anybody and everybody that doesn't have this mark. Anybody that doesn't have this groan and this mark of a groan on them, wipe them out. Then he says, and begin in my sanctuary. In other words, start in the church. I believe that if the Lord showed up to judge, he would start at every pulpit. So here's the picture. Ezekiel 8, you have 25 men facing the wrong way. Okay? They're standing in the right place. Right? Intercession is between the porch and the altar. It's between, it's between that on the outside and him. But they're facing them. They're facing the people and they're worshiping idols. And the Lord said, I want you to take those 25 men. And this is what I believe he's saying to the church. And I want you to turn them around back to the altar. They're facing the wrong way. And I want you to find those in chapter 9 that have this groan in their heart that said enough. Enough is enough. I want you to find them that have a groan and this cry within their heart that's saying, not in my church, not in my house, not in my family, but we will be those that cry, Hosanna. There's two responses to the coming of the Lord. Hosanna and crucify him. And the same people that cried Hosanna were the same people that cried crucify him. Because we all say, come Lord Jesus, come. But do you realize that when God comes, when Jesus splits the sky open, your plans go away. Like, do you realize that whatever plans you had for your children, your family, the American dream, I think that the Lord is, is declaring war on the American dream. I, I really do. I think that the Lord is declaring war on any dream that isn't him. I think he's actually crucifying our call and then birthing his through us. Because it's not about our calling. It's what is the hope of his calling. I know that this is hard. I know that this is intense. And I'm being intense intentionally. Because I'm not interested in just traveling and preaching something to tickle your ears and get you to clap. I want you to drive home going Am I right before you, God? Or otherwise, I'm not doing my job, and I'm not interested in being judged for idle words. I'm asking the Lord to shake within us again that, that place of callousness in our hearts that is okay with the program and doesn't have this groan within them that's saying it's enough is enough. We, God, there is got to be more. And the Lord is looking for some people that'll step between the porch and the altar and they're going to be facing the right way. 
And they're going to be saying, Lord, forgive us. In, Deut- in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel begins to intercede on behalf of Israel. And he doesn't say, look at them, God. Look at our government. Judge them, God. Judge. He says, God, forgive us. This is what an intercessor does. He takes the weights. This is what Jesus did. Jesus carried our weight. He bore our sin. And he's looking for some intercessors that are going to say, Lord, I'm going to, if Joe Biden's not going to pray, I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to stand in the gap. And I'm going to say, Father, forgive our nation. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will turn. Listen, I will turn and the turn from their wicked ways. I will come and I will heal their land. I don't know if you can tell, but we need healing in our land. And in Daniel 9, he begins to cry out to God for mercy. And Gabriel, the angel, shows up and he says, your voice echoed throughout heaven. And I've come to tell you that you are greatly loved. And so it's like Daniel says, thank you. And he keeps praying like Lou Engle. One chapter later, heaven responds again to Daniel. Chapter 10, just read it on your own time. And this angel shows up who had been hindered by principalities. This is crazy. Hindered by principalities. But the prayers, listen, of Daniel were so powerful that it couldn't hinder him. And he comes and he shows up and he says, Daniel, I've come, listen, because of your words. I need you to realize who you are before God, standing in the gap on behalf of the people toward the Lord. And this is what God is asking for of a generation. Will you stand between the porch and the altar and face the altar again? Will you turn from the people, from the influence, and get back to faithfulness again? Say, Lord, I'm not even going to ask you anymore to move through me. I just want you to move. If you do it in the church down the street, my God, just move. If you do it in my church, praise God. If you do it, if you do it in the house church, just, Lord, we are desperate for you to move. And I think if you really asked yourself in your heart that if, if you're here and the church next door has revival breakout, are you going to be offended or are you going to jump in? And I think every pastor and every leader in this room needs to take an inspection of their heart tonight. It's called foundations for a reason. It's getting back to the foundation of 1 Corinthians 3. There is no other foundation other than the one laid by Jesus Christ. And the Lord's coming and he's taking inventory of everything that's been built. I love what you said. The conveyor belt of fire. All of our work is going to be tested. I love it in in Revelation 2 when it says you have left your first love. He says return to the love you had at first and the works also. Some of you need to restore not only your relationship with God, but you need to take your ministry and you need to put it on the altar again. And you need to take yourself And you need to tie yourself to the altar again. The first form of worship we see in scripture. I heard Stephanie Gretzinger talk about this. It was incredible. The first form of worship is in Genesis 22 when God comes to Abraham and he says, give me your son. If I had my, is, oh, William, this is the Lord. Come here, buddy. Wow. This is William, everybody. Can I hold you? All right. This is William. 
This is the one that said, does Jesus like you? <laughs> yes. He came to Abraham, and when he thought to himself, I'm going to ask Abraham for the only thing that's more precious to him than himself, his son. And it says that Abraham said to the servant, we're going to go up the mountain and we're going to worship. You know what his plan was? Sacrifice. And it's a picture of the father and the son. That when the father looked out to and fro, and when he called and no one answered, Ezekiel 30, 22 says, I sought a man who would stand in the gap and I found no one. So when he found no one, God became a man and he threw himself into the gap. And when the father thought, who can I send that's more precious to me than my own self? He sent his son. Like I want you to see the picture. I, I love my boy more than all of you put together. Like I love you, but if I took my love and compared my love for all of you put together against my son, there's no comparison. And I want you to see what the father did. He gave his son and he said, go get them. They're sons and they just don't know. And he freely gave. And then we built church and we built ministry on the beauty and the preciousness of what he gave and we prostitute the anointing and we prostitute the glory and we prostitute our giftings and the bible says that at the end of the age you can stand before him and say lord lord we cast out devils in your name we heal the sick in your name look at all these things we've done and he'll look at you and say but i don't know who you are the lord is not interested in you working for him he's interested in him holding you oh my gosh perfect so tonight, okay, you're getting so heavy. All right. Good job, buddy. You want to stay with me? All right. This is what the church should look like. Mm, not too high. Thanks. It's getting a little uncomfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all right. You can hug my leg. You're good. You're good. We need to become childlike again. We need to take our apostolic masks off. I'm, I'm not against the offices, but the Lord's bringing people together that when we come into his presence, I'm not an evangelist anymore, I'm his child. And I just am longing for him. And the Lord is asking, he's asking a group of people in your heart, if you were to close your eyes right now, close your eyes, take inventory on your heart is he number one and only I want pastors man in this room to ask the Holy Spirit close your eyes ask the Holy Spirit Lord if is what I'm building about you or is it about me Lord I thank you for repentance hitting this tent and us truly coming back to the love we had at first Lord God we come back tonight to the days when we would read the scriptures and tears would fill the pages of the word. The days when we would listen to shout to the Lord on repeat and it didn't get old. God, may we be like Evan Roberts who said he knew his time was up, 
when he could look at the cross and tears wouldn't fill his eyes. Lord, may our form of worship be sacrificed tonight. We're committing to you to get slow and sacrificial again, to build everything in our life, God, around you. We want to build a home with you, Lord. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor.